been here the last two weeks, which would be a third of us, uh, you know that what we're doing this summer is a fun thing called Summer of Soap. Okay? So we're doing a different thing this summer. Now, if you don't know what a soap is, I'm going to explain it more in, in a second. But bottom line, well, let me just say something before I get to that. Let me just say, everything we're doing about this Summer of Soap thing, I want to make it perfectly clear right up front. I am blatantly manipulating to get you into the living word, interacting with God and what he's saying to you through the word, okay? But it's a blatant manipulation, trust me, okay? We're pulling out, I'll do anything. I'll embarrass myself till the, king, till the cows come home to get it right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it in a sec, all right? So now, if you don't know what soap is, briefly, and we'll hit it in a second. Um, I don't know what's going on. There you go. It's scripture, observation, application, prayer. I'm gonna describe that in a second, but let me show you how easy it is. Do me a favor, pull out your phone. Okay, pull out your phone. If you have the app, okay, um, just hit the app and turn it on. If you don't have the app, please, right now, please, go to, we got plenty of connectivity in here. Go to your app store and look for Lake Sam Church. Three words, Sam has two M's in it. Lake Sam Church, and you'll see a little blue Lake Sam icon It looks like us, okay? Click on that and download it. By the time I'm done with this announcement, you will have this app on your phone, okay? Now, what you do is, you can, you can do soaps one of three different ways. You can get a piece of paper off that resource table, and that has the whole quarter on it. You can go to the website, and it has a tile that takes you right to the windows I'm about to show you. Or, the what I'm trying to get you to do right now is through the app. This is the one I use every morning as I go out for my walk. The first part of my walk, I take my phone out, and I do this. This is what it looks like at the very top. There's the Devos. Looks just like that on my phone. I go to Devos. I click it. It takes me to a window with three things on it. You can see one of them soap. I click on soap, and there is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and, there's a, and they're each linked. Do you see that? So all you do is touch the link for that particular day, and it'll take you to Bible Gateway, as I'm going to show you in a second. But the bottom line is I want you to see a couple of things. Isaiah and then Corinthians. We do a little old and a little new. I want to say something. We always do a little Old Testament and a little New Testament because we never want to get far away from the New Testament, but we never want to leave the Old Testament either. They both are incredibly important to your walk. The way that we do it, you end up doing about three New Testaments to every Old Testament. It's just the way it works out, okay? But we do a little old, a little new, and then what we do, when you click on the, here's the Isaiah 61, and you'll see me right there, I'm clicking on it, and then it's going to... I, I waited so that it wouldn't be too fast. And then there's Bible Gateway. Isaiah 61 is the first passage. And I want you to see something here. 11 verses. This is not onerous. This is not do your Bible in a year. Okay, 2 Corinthians 8. This is 22, 23 verses. That's it. Literally, if you were to just read this, you could get through it in less than five minutes. Probably two, takes you two or three minutes to read all the words in those two passages. But here's the point. We don't do big, long passages, and the reason why is because, as Peter Lord says, you can starve to death running through a grocery store. I love reading the Bible in a year and think it's something that everybody should do at least once in their life. I love doing that. 
But for the most part, I'd rather have you meditating on the word than just trying to chalk up two or three chapters of each and some couple of Psalms and a proverb. See what I mean? It's just too much. It's too much of a meal. And what I want to do is I want to show you something. This entire thing I'm talking about right now takes about 15 minutes. Everybody's got 15 minutes. I would pray that you could, if you wanted to extend it, if you want to add prayer to it and so on. But to do a soap takes about 10 to 15 minutes. That's it. Okay? Now, here's what you do in a soap, just to show you. Okay? What you're looking for is a speed bump. When you're reading the scripture, a speed bump is trying to read it and understand that God's trying to say something to you. And then you're reading along and you hit something and you go, why does it say that? Or that's funny. Or literally that's funny. Or you see, it's just something, or you, you read it and it just kind of quickens to you. There's just something that happens in you and you go, there's something about that. And what we're asking you to do is stop and smell that rose. Stop at the speed bump and consider what it's saying to you. Okay? So what you do is soap. You read your scripture. You look for a speed bump. Expect God to talk to you. And then you get to the fun part. Oh, when you get to observation, here's what you do. The Bible is the only book where the author comes with every copy. So when you hit a speed bump and you don't understand what it is, you just ask him, why did you do that? Why did you, why'd you say that? Why did you quicken me? What are you doing? Now, I want to say something. This is huge right now. If I were to ask for a show of hands, and I won't so as not to embarrass anybody, if I were to ask for a show of hands, how many people really enjoy reading Scripture literally Less than half the hands in this room would go up. In truth, it'd be about a quarter. And here's why. They just don't understand. You just, people just read it and they just don't understand what it's about. What does this mean? What is going on here? I don't understand the context. I don't understand. You know, I'd much rather read a devotional by somebody else telling me what they got out of it because then that witnesses with me and I like that. People don't know what's in the word. But here's what I want to say. Look for the speed bump. Go ask the Lord. At the beginning... Only every once in a while will you get a revelation. But the more you do it, like any muscle, like any skill set, you'll get better and better, better and better, better and better. And, and you'll get to the place to where literally, like me, every single day, God says something significant to me, to my life right then, that day, out of that soap. Because he got a speed bump. I ask him what it's about. Oh, my gosh. I, oh, my. Oh, my. That's literally what it feels like. And when you get into the habit of asking the Lord about it and learning how to hear what he's been saying all along, and that's why we're being so manipulative. We're trying to get everybody to get into this dynamic, interactive ability to hear what the word and what God's trying to say to you through the word. Once you get that, then you go to application. Application is a blast because application is what's it, how's it apply to your life? What's he trying to do? What's he trying to, and usually the application is super simple. Right? It's just like so obvious. Once you get the revelation, you're going, well, I understand exactly what that means because that was a revelation for you. Two people looking at the same passage get totally different soaps out of it based on what the Lord's telling them. And then you just put it to prayer. You seal it. Okay? Now, a lot of people like to do this in writing. They like to journal. I hate to journal. A lot of people like to journal. If you're having trouble hearing the Lord, let me highly recommend that at least for a season, you journal. Because when you do, something will happen. 
And that is, as you're writing it down, you'll hear the Lord doing things, and you'll start to realize, oh, that's what he sounds like when he's talking to me? Oh, I got that. I understand that. See what I mean? So the writing really helps do that. But once you start to understand how to ride that bike, I'm just walking down the road in Bellevue, literally traffic whizzing by me and everything else, and I'm Pokemon, right? I'm looking at my phone. I'm just walking, you know, just engrossed in my phone, and I'm, and I'm doing a soap. God gives me a speed bump. I'm working through the speed bump. Oh, my, oh, man, that's incredible. I do the application. I pray for it, and then I go into a longer prayer as I go for the rest of my walk, okay? So, in order, as I've said, to be blatant and manipulative, our ushers, are you ready? We did something else, and that is we made a SOS, Summer of Soap. And we want you to literally put this in your shower. You don't have to use it, but if you do, that SOS will stay all the way to the bottom. So I think it'd be kind of fun to try. But it's, but it's to where it's not just on the top where it wears off. It actually stays as you go down, okay? So, but the bottom line is if you didn't get a Summer of Soap bar yet, Raise your hands. The ushers are coming down these aisles, and they'll pass one out to you and hang it up in your shower. Now, we mean this to be one per family because most people, they shower in the same shower. If you shower in two showers, by all means, take two, okay? And if you really want to take two, I don't care. Just take two. Keep your hands up. Okay, I'm sorry. They're coming down the aisles as fast as they can. There's a lot of people. It probably would be best if everybody took one in the beginning because we might run out. Okay, we got a lot of them, but... Uh, I hope, I hope we get, Natese, do me a favor, throw me one, just throw it up here, just take one and throw it, that's right, throw it from there, come on, you're a, you're a world famous soccer player, you can do this, okay, all right, did you guys know that about him, did you know in his native country he is a star, if you walked out, if you walked into the, if you walked into the street, everybody would know him, did you know that, I know there's so many stories like that in this church, it's amazing. Okay, all right, so everybody got it? All right, you got your, did, did we get to you? Do you have more? We got more up front here. If you're, if you're still going, there's still more up front. Okay, we good? All right, there's the Christmas right there in the middle. Natasia, if you've got more. Are you guys out? Oh, I'm devastated. Do you have two? Is that why you're holding yours up? Well, once again, Amber proves herself to be more spiritual. <laughs> Thank you, Amber. Thank you. All right. So, so there you go. This is what SOAP is all about. We're doing everything we can to get everybody interactive. Let me do one last pitch on this before I go into the sermon, which is going to be a SOAP. For the rest of the summer, we're going to be doing SOAPs. Every person that preaches is going to look at the SOAPs that lead up to that Sunday, and then they're, and then they're going to pick one of them to do a sermon out of. And what we want you to do is to do your soap that week and just think about it. What would you have done? What's the sermon that you would have done? Remember, in this church, you might actually be giving that sermon. Okay? So the bottom line is we want you to think about what your sermon would be, and then, you, and then we'll do that. But here's, here's, okay, just we're having fun, but I want you to listen and really process something. One of the, I know that other people have other ways of reading the Bible that are really good for them, and they, they do that, and I really don't want you to lose something that you do that's really rich for you. I got it, okay? But can I say something? I have this image of an entire family not just being led by the Lord week to week on Sundays, but letting the Lord journey them throughout the week through these soaps. 
And I have a feeling that what God can do with us will take us further together if we're all in a similar place. You see that? So that's the real heart. We want you to interact with Scripture, number one. That's the biggie. But there's an underlying motive, too. And that is, I'm asking you, if you really have something and you don't want to leave it, you don't feel like you're supposed to, I don't care, don't. Don't worry about it. But if there's anything in your mind that says, gee, maybe, would you please try it? I can tell you we work these passages very carefully, and we've been refining them for years, and they are very good now. It's just, like I say, every day that I go out there, God speaks to me through that passage. It's not onerous. It's life-giving. Okay? We good? Everybody good? Okay, who's our prayer? Greg Thatcher, that's perfect. Love you, Greg. Hey, you're just perfect. What an encourager and a loving man. Yep, there we go. Hi, Roger. Uh, pray for us and pray for another yeah. church, right? Yeah. Father, it was for freedom that in Jesus you set us free. And Lord, not to go back again to some yoke of bondage. God, not to be tied to religious things, but to be set free in Christ. Amen. God, uh, speak that through Kurt this morning. Speak freedom to our hearts. I don't know what his topic is, Lord, but I know this, that because of your word, you set us free, and we're free indeed. Lord, I also pray for my friends in Ukraine. Lord, for Father Mikola and the, uh, the church that he has there in Bucha, Ukraine. Bless him. Set them free. Protect those folks, God. Uh, protect their minds and hearts in this time. God, I pray that um, we remember those in chains and those that are threatened. And Father, pray for freedom for them too in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Beautiful, Greg. Thank you. Now, this is a soap. So I want to ask you, what was my speed bump? Did anybody do soaps this week and know that this was coming? I do want to say that I just showed you one from Friday that had 2 Corinthians 8. It was all about giving. So is that the one that I did? Is that the one that I chose in the summer with the interesting way things happen in the summer? No, it isn't. Okay. So, but I did pick the one from Friday. And the one that I picked, the one that I say I picked, but the one that the Lord brought to me, the one that really had life, the one that had something in it that became this sermon, is the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. This is Isaiah. For the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to confront the broken heart, to comfort the brokenhearted, and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Okay? Now, most of you will recognize that as the passage that Jesus used in a very soap-type thing that happened, which was he gets baptized in the Jordan and baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then he goes into the wilderness to be tempted, and then he comes down from the wilderness and goes to church, as is his custom, it says. He goes to church, and then in church, what, you don't, what isn't entirely clear, except in a couple of the ways that they translate it, is that what they do is you open the scrolls, which is their Bible, but then you don't just pick whatever passage. There's a passage to be read that day that's already been decided upon, okay? And so here's Jesus being anointed in the river for his ministry, going through the temptations to be prepared for it, and he comes down and reads his soap for the day. You think that's pretty dead on? The Lord has anointed me. He's saying, I'm the fulfillment of the scripture. Right? And God orchestrates things. He orchestrates our journey. Do you know that yet? <laughs> I hope you do, because he orchestrates every part of it for us. 
Okay, everything. He causes all things to work together for good. And that's according to a journey. Okay? Having said that, that's the one that got me. Now, why did that get me? Because I, I, it just got me, and I knew that it was God, and so I started talking to him. Why did that get me? What, what happened in this in me? And the Lord started talking to me about this first. He started saying, this is what Jesus did. Whose image are you being conformed to? His. So what are you supposed to be doing? Well, I'm supposed to be bringing good news to the poor, comforting the brokenhearted, proclaiming captives released, prisoners freed. I'm supposed to tell those who mourn that the Lord's favor has come. I'm the one who's supposed to be doing that. Now, as soon as I thought of that, and this is, watch, I'm trying to be transparent about process, about what a soap is like. Because as soon as I said that, here's what happened. I remembered a blog that I had read from a Facebook post. I think you're the one that posted it, Eric, for just a couple of days before. And it had the provocative title of My Problem with the Bible. Now, it was a nice provocative title, right? Because whenever anybody says, here's my problem with the Bible, here's what they mean. There's something wrong with the Bible, and I'm going to tell you what it is. My problem with the Bible. Now, it's a provocative title because the guy writing it is a Christian, and you understand he probably doesn't have a problem with the Bible. He's probably actually twisting those words to say, the Bible reveals that there's a problem in me. I have a problem. And it comes, it's revealed in Scripture. Now, watch what he says. Here's my problem. I'm an ancient Egyptian. I'm not the Jewish slaves. I'm a comfortable Babylonian, the ones who overtook Judah. I'm not the ones who were overtaken. I'm a Roman in his villa. I'm not the oppressed Jews. See, that's my problem. See, I'm trying to read the Bible for all it's worth, but I'm not a Hebrew slave suffering in Egypt. I'm not a conquered Judea deported to Babylon. I'm not a first century Jew living under Roman occupation. I'm a citizen of a superpower, the superpower. I was born among the conquerors. I live in the empire. But I want to read the Bible and think it's talking to me. Well, there's a problem here. <laughs> in fact, he goes on to say it this way. One of the most remarkable things about the Bible, and it is, is that in it we find the narrative told from the perspective of the poor, the oppressed, the enslaved, the conquered, the occupied, the defeated. But wait a minute. History is typically written by the winners. Except in the case of the Bible, it's the opposite. Imagine a history of colonial America written by the Cherokee Indians. That would be quite a different way of telling the story. And that's what the Bible does. It's the story of Egypt told by slaves. The story of Babylon told by exiles. The story of Rome told by the occupied. What about those brief moments when Israel appeared to be on top? In those cases, the prophets told Israel's story from the perspective of the peasant poor as a critique of the Jewish royal elite. Even then, even when Israel was on top, it was a critique of those who were on top from below. Now, I want to say something here, particularly in such a politicized time. But I want to say, I, he's not entirely correct about this. There's an emphasis that he's brought to it that is overboard. But for a reason, and a, a defensible reason, because he's got a point, and he's made his point beautifully, truly. There is a problem. Let me, let, me, let me present to you what it is. Watch this. If we want to be the kind of people who are bringing good news to the poor and setting captives free, 
If we want to be that kind of people, now watch. If we were all experiencing tremendous oppression, then we would all quite naturally be completely oriented all the time to helping each other. When you are being oppressed, when you are being pressed down, when somebody is, is doing something horrible to you, you band together with the other people no matter what other divisions you might have otherwise had. You come together. People in a foxhole bond because they have a common issue. And so they're helping each other. They're, when you're in need, as human beings, we are literally biologically built to gather. That's what we do. And when we do that, it helps us. We survive that way. We are remarkable at gathering, and that's how we beat dinosaurs that are bigger, stronger, faster, better. See what I mean? You get the drift? Now, having said that, did we beat dinosaurs? I think I might have been anachronistic there a little bit, wasn't I? Okay, unless you're young earth, and then, you know, okay, well, total joke. All right, uh, but the bottom line is, but since we're all comfortable, and not, and look, right when I say that to some degree, see, what people are going to say is, this, I'm not comfortable. God, my God, I got these horrible debts, or I've got some horrible health issue, or I've got something. Here's what I want to say. I get that everybody has their areas of discomfort, but what I'm trying to say is, is that if you were born in America, even if you're on the poor end of the scale, the, you are better off than eight-tenths to nine-tenths of the world. You, in a relative sense, you are in comfort. In an absolute sense, you are also protected in ways that are extraordinary. So there is a comfort that we live in. We are not the oppressed. Okay? And so... And, and But look at this. And since most of the people we know are somewhat comfortable, then it is an effort, a sacrifice for us to get outside of our comfortable bubbles and truly reach out to help others. Think about this. When you're under oppression, you naturally reach out to bond and gather. But when you got stuff, what do you do? You, you enjoy. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with enjoyment, by the way. We're going to see that very powerfully in just a moment. Nothing wrong with it at all unless it stops you from reaching out to other people. That's where it goes sick, okay? God is the one who wants to bless you. He wants to comfort you. God is the one who comforts you. We're gonna see this all very powerfully in just a moment, but here's the point. When, when we get to a certain place in our comfort, our comfort can become our God, and it, become, it can become the thing that directs us in what we do, and we fail to do the things that God is asking us to do and to be. And when we do that, We've walked away from God. We don't know it. And we really don't feel it because it seems like we're pretty blessed. You see it? But there really is a problem here. And that's the problem that we're trying to get to. So I want to show you how strong this gets in another soap passage, the one that was, I believe, Tuesday. The one on Tuesday. Okay? And I'm going to show you something about fasting, but in order to do that, I need you to see something, and that is, the culture into which Isaiah was preaching was very similar to our own right now. Very similar. There were some remarkable, diff remarkable differences, but nonetheless, it was very similar. Watch this. 740 BCE, 740 years essentially before Christ. It's not before Common Era, but okay. Isaiah begins prophesying. Now, he prophesies to Judah, the southern tribes, primarily, but also the northern tribes. At this point in time, Ju Judah and Israel, Samaria, have separated. Ten tribes in the north, 
two tribes in the south. They're two different nations. Okay, Israel is not one. Now, he's prophesying primarily to the southern, but he's also prophesying to the northern. Now look at the timing here. 740, he begins prophesying, and he starts saying stuff like this. You northern tribes, God's about to wipe you out. That doesn't happen. God is not going to wipe out Canada. Right? That's not going to happen. This is how they felt too. God doesn't just wipe out countries. We look at history and we can read countries being wiped out, but it takes hundreds of years, if not more, and all this kind of stuff. We just don't think that way. This country's going to be here. But Isaiah comes along and he says, you know the 10 tribes? You're feeling sort of comfortable and everything else? You're gone. Unless you repent, you're gone. And 20 years later, they were. Now, if somebody came and said, hey, God's going to wipe out Canada, and 20 years later, Canada's gone, maybe you'd want to listen pretty carefully to what he had to say, wouldn't you? Right? Maybe it'd be like, pay attention here. Particularly if that same prophet was telling you, you're next. Right? You think God doesn't do this? You got this as an example. So by the time he gets to chapters 58, 61, this passage, this passage that we're looking at, we're actually in a season where he's telling Judah, you're next. And in 600 BCE, they fall. But now watch, 600, he's prophesying this at around, he's probably prophesying this right, right about the turn, right? Right about 700 is where 58 and 61 and those ones take place. Somewhere in there. It's very hard to tell, but somewhere in that ballpark. It's still going to be 100 years before they're gone. But think about what a citizenry is feeling if they watched a nation north of them that they were related to completely disappear, and they're going through a lot of troubles. They're still prosperous. Don't misunderstand it. They're still very prosperous. There was a time when the Assyrians had a little effect, but then they went back away again. And now they're their own country, and they're doing quite well financially. But there's a shakiness. There's an uncertainty. We're not standing on firm ground. 50 years ago in this country, people in America felt like they were standing on firm ground. Today, do you feel like you're standing on firm ground? It doesn't feel like that anymore, does it? It feels like it's moving. It feels like it's softened. It feels like it's undulating. What's, how do I get my bearings? See, so we're uncertain. Now, this is exactly where Israel is when he prophesies in there. And watch what happens. See, the people are nervous. Now, but watch this. Now, watch. This is a prophecy, but it turns out to be a prophecy to Christians. It's not a prophecy at that time to Christians. It's a prophecy that time to Jewish people who actually trust the Lord. But there are other people who don't trust the Lord. And he's talking about them too, but that's not a prophecy to them. It's a prophecy to people who do trust the Lord because they realize that things are shaky. And what do we do when we realize things are shaky? We go back to God and we ask him why. And we fast and we pray. Now watch, 58. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We've been very hard on ourselves, but you don't even notice it. Now think about that. Just, just put that one aside. Been very hard on ourselves as if that's a good thing. So put that aside right now, but watch this. We've fasted. See, why are they fasting? Because things are shaky. So they're fasting, saying, what's going on? But now watch what God says back to them. 
I tell you why I respond. It's because you're fasting to please yourselves. Let's paraphrase that. You're fasting to get what you want. You're not fasting to get what I want. In fact, you're not fasting to get what I want so much that you can fast and then oppress your workers as if I don't care about that. Because let me tell you who I care about, the oppressed worker. You're freaking out because you're feeling a little shaky and you're asking me to help you, right? But then you're oppressing your workers. Who do you think I care about more in this scenario? Because <laughs> he's making it clear. These people that you're oppressing are the ones that are getting my ear. What you're doing is ridiculous. In fact, what he says is, that kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You're concerned, so you're praying for yourself. Now watch what he does in the second one. That's the first way through. Now watch the second way through. Watch this one. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like a reed bending in the wind. By the way, let me say something. I am not trying to bring any condemnation to anybody here. If somebody all of a sudden thinks, trying to point a bony little finger at your face and bring you into condemnation, God doesn't bring people into condemnation. What he does is he brings things to light. And what he's asking us to do is just to soberly see if it's true in us. And if it is true, he's just asking us to respond to it. And usually what respond to it means is not try and fix it yourself. It's to realize you've got a problem and go to him to fix it. Because there is a problem. See what I'm saying? So this is just to get our eyes open so that we can receive and pray and go after what the Lord wants us to do and how he wants us to do it. Now watch this though. You humble yourselves by going through motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap, which means it's hurting your skin. Okay? And you cover yourself with ashes, meaning it's all gritty. So you're very uncomfortable. You've made yourself uncomfortable. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? Now watch. This is so interesting. When we fast, we realize something is wrong, and we do something that's uncomfortable, right? To try and get ourselves out of a place that might be blinding us. What happens is, therefore, when things are bad, God says fast. So here's how we twist it. We twist it to, oh, what God likes is when we suffer. See it? That's the religious impulse. You see, if I put on more burlap and more ashes, then God will do what I want. <laughs> God's the one who's trying to bless you. God's the one who made them so wealthy. God's the one who made America so wealthy. God's the one who wants to pour out more to you than you could ever imagine. He is asking for something. He's asking for you to pour out what was poured in. Pretty simple, right? But the bottom line is, they've got God so twisted up that they don't even know who he is anymore. They think, well, if I go out and suffer, then God will feel bad for me and he'll fix what I want fixed. You see it? We are so screwed up. I mean, it's just hilarious if it wasn't so tragic. Right? The bottom line is, is what he's saying is he's saying, do you think this pleases the Lord? Because I'm going to tell you right now, it doesn't. This is not the kind of fasting I want. Now, now, understand, this isn't even a fast, even though he says it this way. Here's the fast I want. Those who are wrongly in prison, free them. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. Remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. Do not hide from relatives who need your help. What's the kind of fast I want? 
help. Help people. You want to fix it? Help people. In fact, this is the next thing he says. Now watch what he's saying. And there's a trick in here. There's a, there's a, there's a thing that we could trip on and get things screwed up again. But I want to take the first level of this and say, look what he says will happen if you'll do this stuff. Then when you call, the Lord will answer. Yes, I'm here. He will quickly reply. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. And then your light shines from the darkness and the darkness around it becomes bright. The world is dark. It needs help. You bring help. You light it up. But then watch what happens to you. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you're dry and restoring your strength. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. What were the people fasting for? To get things stable again. Solid. What has he just said happens when you help other people? Things become solid again. When you do what he wants you to do, he makes it solid. Now here's where you can get tripped up. Is that why you do it? Because of what it gives you? No, because that goes back to the spirit of doing what's to you. If I'm doing right by other people because it, makes, it gives me more, somehow I've just sort of messed up the equation. But if I don't understand that that's in the equation, I'm losing something. The truth is, is when I do the things that the Lord wants me to do, they do come back to me. They do return to me, and in a wonderful, beautiful way. There is a blessing in those things. Let me put it this way. There are certain professions in the world which immediately touch other people. Teaching is one. Nursing is one. There's just a direct touch to help other people's lives. Now, take nursing out of the equation and go to all the other ones. Usually those professions pay crappy. Why? Because it turns out that there's a whole lot of people that want to do it. Supply and demand. Well, why? You know? One of the reasons why people still want to do it even though the money sucks is because the job, the thing that you're doing, has such a reward. It is its own reward. Nursing is the one where you get paid and you get to reward. But then you got to stand on your feet all day, so no, just kidding. Do you catch the drift? There are, other, there are other kinds of occupations where you have to do things that are not directly helping somebody. Like sales is a position where you might be helping somebody because of what you're selling them is good for them right? But it still is sales. There's still a manipulating somebody. And so there's a cost in it to us to do that. I'm not saying it's not a good cost. And if you're, if you're in sales and you're selling something you believe in and it's helping people, praise God for that and believe in that. Do that. No problem. But just understand that we usually have to pay people that do that kind of work more because there's less people that want to do it because it doesn't have its own internal reward. See what's being said? I, I, we really need to get to the place to where we understand this thing. And this thing is, is that when you help people, you would do it for no money at all. It's awesome. It's wonderful. It's the coolest thing. It's wonderful in itself. Right? And we do need to get to that place. But so now let me ask you a question, okay? We've kind of talked about all this now. Now here's the question, and the way I'm asking you to think about it is, this is one of those quick first impression things. The more you think about it, the further you're going to get from the truth. So I'm going to ask you a question. What's the first thing that pops into your mind? You don't have to say it out loud. Who am I helping right now? Just take, a take two seconds. I hope that a person popped right into your mind. This is who I'm helping right now. Now, let's do something, though, to just make it a little bit worse. 
Who am I helping right now that isn't like a relative to where it's like just pretty much a have to or a have to situation? Who is it that I'm helping that's outside of where I would have to do this? Now ask that question to yourself. Am I helping somebody there? Now again, we're not going to show hands just because. I want to say something. Lake Sam is a spectacular church. I am in love with everybody that's here, and I watch the things that you guys do, and this church is so, so, so active. The things that everybody here does is, are, is remarkable, okay? It's incredible how much ministry goes on through the people that come to this body. It's amazing. And even then, when I ask who's the person that you're helping right now, the first or the second time, when I asked it the first time, there was probably less than half the people that had a name come to mind. Not in the past, not sometime, in the, not sometime ago, but right now. And when I asked the question about outside the bubble, it was probably down to about a quarter of people that had a name just popped to mind. Well, if God said that we're supposed to be like Jesus, we're supposed to be caring for the poor, and we're supposed to be helping the oppressed and setting them free and, and doing all of these things that he's told us to do, and then we can't name a person, well, there's a problem. Now, I'm going to do something right now because we're in such a politicized moment that people are going to interpret things that I'm saying in ways that I don't intend. So let me say something very clearly right now. This is not a right or a left comment in the least. I am not suggesting that if Christians would just step up and help everybody the Lord led them to lead, that we would need no more welfare, we would need no more health care plan, that we need no more government assistance. I am not suggesting that. I think government has a role in many ways, and I think it can be a problem in many ways. But the bottom line is I'm not commenting one way or the other, and God is not commenting on it. What's being said here is it's not about what's happening globally. It's about what's happening locally. What are you doing? What are you doing personally? That's the only question that's on the table right now, not the larger political questions that we're all discussing so much, too much, however. You get it? We're talking about what's happening with you. And the thing is, is what God's been saying clearly through these verses and what he says clearly throughout his scripture is there ought to be a name that comes to mind whenever you say that. And it turns out there's three reasons. There's many more than this, but there's three primary reasons why a name doesn't pop to mind and they go like this. The first one is it'll cost me or hurt me. It'll cost too much and I'm going to suffer and it's going gonna, it's gonna, to, you know, it's, you know, I just don't have enough right now and, and all this kind of stuff. Well, well, watch. The passage that we just read said what? The way for you to be solid is to give. God's economy is different than a budget. A budget says I've only got so much money and I've got a mortgage of so much and this of so much and this is so much and so I don't have any money. I'm telling you God's economy is different than that. I'm telling you that when you pour out, he pours in. He's just looking for vessels that he can pour into so they can pour out more. Now that's not so that you get more. That would be that twisting it again. You see? But the bottom line is, is what he's trying to do is he's trying to pour in so that he can pour out. Because he's got these people that he wants to help. And he's trying to find somebody who will help him. Right? And that's the way God's economy works. That is the way it works. And I could, I've told you stories before. I could tell you stories again of the things that God has done in this way. In my life and in other people's lives I know, there'd be several testimonies in this room of people saying, it's true. I didn't have, but I did, and I reached out, and I did this, and God provided for me. 
That's what he promises in the New Testament and the Old Testament and all the way through. He says, this is who I am. And this is how life is, for real. But I do want to show you something. Even in that passage I said I wasn't preaching from, the 2 Corinthians 8 one about money, look at this curious little statement that Paul makes. Of course, th what he's doing is he's taking a collection from the Corinthians to take back to the poor people in Jerusalem. And he's saying, of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourself. I only mean there should be some equality. So if you're scared, don't be. He's not asking you to give infinitely more than you've got. He's just asking you to obey. And what he's telling you is, is if you'll obey, I'll provide. It may be you obeying first, me providing second, but if you'll obey, I'll provide. I'm looking at people in this room who have done this. I'm looking at somebody right now who's done this several times in their life, and you have blessed me directly, personally, in ways, and God has blessed you so much. This is true, folks. This is real. This isn't pie in the sky. This is real. Okay? So don't be afraid and think that you're going to be hurt by trying to help somebody. The second one is no time. That's the bane right now. That's the one, right? That's the one everybody's tripped up on. God, Satan has just got into our time, taken all margin out and everything else. We're working way too many hours because nobody told us we had to work certain hours anymore. So now on that great flex time, we all are working unbelievably stupid hours. We've got no margins left and we're exhausted and we do entertainment and work and that's pretty much what our lives have become, right? I got no time. I'm going to tell you a story, and the only reason I'm telling you this story is because God told me to tell the story, because otherwise I wouldn't want to. And it's a good story about me. Most of the time when I say that, I'm telling you a bad story I really don't want to tell. And I really don't want to tell this one either, but I just want to say something to you. 1976, I got saved. 19, I think it was, I can't even remember, was it 90 or 94? Is Julie's in here? I don't think she is. But it was somewhere around there is when I took my first actual pastoral position. So it was almost 20 years. Now, for 20 years, I ministered. Pastoring for me was not doing something that I wasn't doing before. Pastoring for me is doing what Mario and Sherry are doing. I was always doing it. And then there came a time at which God said, faithful in that, take this, do this. That's all that happened. He just switched it a little bit. That's all. The fact is, is when I was a kid, I was working on marriages. I was helping people. I was helping people financially. I was helping people in every way that you could ever imagine. I was doing, I was doing so much ministry that if anybody looked at our lives, they said, those guys are just about ministry. That's what they do. They just help people. They're helping people all the time. And let me be clear, it was in friendships. It wasn't like helping poor people that I would never sit down and have lunch with. It was people that we knew and friends and so on that needed help, knew lots of people that didn't know the Lord, bringing lots of people to the Lord. I just ministered because that's what you do, right? That's who you are. That's what God made you to be, and you just pour out. So I just did lots of that. Now, that's not why I'm telling this story, but that's the background, too. When, 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 when I do the test and I say, what name pops to your mind? You could say, well, Kurt, of course you have a name because you work full-time at this. And I do. I have lots of names of people that are sitting here right now that we're working together, right, in some fashion. Now, having said that, I want to tell you the story that the Lord wanted me to tell you, which I didn't even know happened. I went on Wednesday night, Wednesday morning, excuse me, I walked up into Eucharist. I prayed about this sermon. God gave me the sermon. I was dictating it. I was done with the sermon. I was back down onto Northeast 10th, 
and walking home, and Northeast 10th is where I clean up my prayers, and I start praying for Julie and the kids and, and other things that I pray for faithfully. And I'm walking down there, and all of a sudden I realized, oh, I should pick something up at QFC, which is a little off my walk. So I walk into QFC, and I pick up what I need to pick up, and then I'm coming out the door of QFC, downtown Bellevue, and right in front of me, I didn't see it right then, but I, I turned left to get back up to Northeast 10th. I get about two-thirds of the way back up to Northeast 10th, and all of a sudden I went, I need to go talk to this guy. Now, here's who this guy is. This is a guy who once or twice a year, for about the last six or seven or eight years, I have a job that I need done. I'm not going to be specific about this because I want to be vague, okay? But I have a reason to go to his business. And over those years, we've become real friends. We've talked about God. We've talked about all kinds of things. We've become real friends. And about three months ago, he called me, which he'd never done before. And he said, would you please call me? And I knew when he called me, I, there was a reason for me to call him. So I called him right back as soon as, I, as soon as I got the message. And then he told me about a member of his family that had gotten into something that was just absolutely devastating. And it was critical in crisis right then. So I worked through it with him. What do you do in this situation? Who do you call? Who do you talk to? How do you get resources around it? How do you get people around it? What kind of things do you need to watch for? All these things. These are things that I knew something about, and I was trusting that the Lord would tell me what he needed to know. So I was doing this with him. Now, after that, I started going to this business, not because I needed anything, but to check up and see how things were going. And then as we get there and we talk and something comes up and the Lord does something more and there's a next step because there's this thing that's happening now in terms of trying to get out of this place. So now watch. I prayed this whole thing and I've got this whole sermon. I'm not even thinking about the sermon. I'm walking home and I've timed my walk to where I have to leave the house at a certain time to do my walk, to get home, to get over to the doctor's where I've lost, where I left a pair of glasses, right, from being sick. And I had to do that in order to get up here for a meeting. So I was on a timetable. And I get two-thirds of the way, right about to where I'm about to go around the corner, and I'm not seeing that. And then all of a sudden I realize, wow, I haven't talked to him in a little while. I wonder what's going on. And I'm going, I don't have time to do that today. And then I went, well, crap, he's more important than glasses. <laughs> so I went. And sure enough, he really appreciated it. And there were some things that needed to be said at that point in time about where they are in their process right now. So God moved. And I walked out of there feeling fulfilled in who God has called and made me to be. All of us. It didn't take me a lot of time. It wasn't this big sacrifice. I can tell you I've had points in my life where people have lived on our couch for months. So there were other times when it was much more invasive. But here's what God does. He doesn't just take you from zero to 60. He takes you from zero to 10. And then from 10 to 20. And then from 20 to 30. And all of a sudden one day you wake up and you say, why am I so comfortable going 100 miles an hour? Because he's taught you how to do it. And he's done it in a very loving and gracious way. I've, okay? Do you remember at Church at the Beach, the message was rest, relax, trust. This message that I'm telling you right now is not to get you to do more work. It's summer. 
All it is is saying be obedient. God's going to give you some cool opportunities. And when you do them, it's going to feel good. But that's not why to do them. It's going to be good. It's going to be him. It's going to help somebody. This is what we're here for. Trust him. He's not, people say, I'm not going to be open to missions because God's going to send me to Africa. Can I just tell you, if and when God might send you to Africa, you're going to want to go. And if you want to go, so what where he sends you? Right? But he's not going to take you, oh, God, I hate this place. I'm not saying never, by the way. So the last thing is we're scared. What would I actually do if I was talking to somebody? I don't know what to say to them. Uh, what if it goes poorly? What if they respond badly? What if I'm embarrassed? What if I'm not, I'm not equipped? I'm not an extrovert like you are, Kurt. It just isn't an option, guys. God's bigger than whatever you're not. In fact, praise God, the less that you are of something, the more he can actually be. We just have to put ourselves out there. There's not a person in this place that doesn't know the joy of helping somebody else. And all he's trying to do is get us to be a people who just help other people the way that he leads, however he leads. So in your tray right now is this. Stop and pray. I put it up. That's my door. And I move it around so that I... So that I because, you know, if it's things in the same place every once for too long, you don't see it. Could you guys grab one from the back and give it to these guys? Okay? Just put it up on your door so that every day you're reminding yourself to stop and pray. And I love, we didn't change it this time. Father God, I'm yours. Use me today. Open my eyes to see the people and the situations you've empowered me to minister into today. That is a simple prayer. It'll lead to the most incredible, glorious, wonderful, profound results. So Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, your people come before you today to be your instruments. Finally, beautifully, wonderfully held in your hand, directed by your spirit to do your will. Thank you, God. Thank you that you have given us such pleasant things to do, even if they're outside of our comfort zone initially, that you teach us how to not only find comfort, but fulfillment joy, beauty, wondrousness. In Jesus' holy and precious name, thank you, God, for you who you have made us to be. And now what we're asking is, we are in a pattern, and that pattern has led us to places where we aren't doing what you'd have us do. And so what we're committing to doing right now is to be your instruments in your hand to do what you would move on us to do. So in Jesus' beautiful and holy and just magnificent name, would you please cause us to do it. Pick up the cup that's